everybody. It's Bob Barker with the AGC of Wisconsin, and I want to welcome you to the Forward Construction Podcast. And today we have AGC General Counsel Derek Allen with us. And Derek is going to uh, cover some hot topics on the uh, legal and um, insurance and safety side for us today. And uh, Derek's our new general counsel, started with AGC back in July of 2019. And um, he is joining us. And Derek, I'm just going to let you take it over from here. Sounds good. I just wanted to cover a a few things that we've been getting uh, quite a few questions about uh, related to COVID-19. Probably the biggest one to start off has been the new uh, paid family leave uh, requirements connected to the coronavirus. Um, the first thing I'll say is that is brand new. Um, lots of uh, mechanics with it are still to be worked out, so that's changing every day. So by the time this podcast is over, it might have changed on me. Um, but generally speaking, the way that works, um, effective April 1st, is anyone, any employee that's affected by coronavirus, whether they have it, um, whether their kid's school is closed, Um, whether they've been quarantined because they think they have it or they have other health concerns, um, it's going to capture all those people. Um, So that part of it's pretty broad. What's what's, um, something to keep in mind for employers is whether you are obligated to uh, be part of the program at all. Um, For private employers, less than 500 people, you are covered by that. Um, So you have those responsibilities. Um, generally speaking, if someone is sick, they are entitled to two weeks of pay, um, and that would include their pay and their health insurance benefits. Um, if they have someone, um, kids to take care of or something like that, they're potentially open to another 10 weeks of it, um, all of which will be reimbursed potentially through the government. So what I would say right now is contact uh, legal counsel. Certainly I'm available. Um, by email, D-E-R-E-K dot A-L-L-E-N at A-G-C-W-I.org. I'm happy to go through any specifics um, rather than have people figure this out themselves. But generally speaking, if, you have less than, if you're a private employer um, with less than 500 people, uh, you're probably going to be affected by this pretty quickly. Okay, Derek. So um, if I'm an employer with less than 500 people, then I need to not only cover their regular wages for that, 80-hour period or two weeks, I have to cover their health insurance premium? That's correct. If that's part of what they get paid, yes, then you need to. Um, All of which, um, this is an important part of it, is reimbursable 100%. um, And how the government's decided to do that is give you a deduction off your payroll taxes. So most companies pay those quarterly. So essentially, if you pay out, let's say, $10,000 as part of the sick leave, uh, plus covering people's health insurance benefits, if that's something you already do, um, then you can just not give that amount um, an equal amount when your payroll taxes are due. So employers are in a little bit of a tough spot um, in that they do have to front the money for up to three months. But as far as um, reimbursement goes, you're going to get covered within those three months. Um, one exception I will mention is most employers can probably cover the two weeks where it gets a little bit difficult is if you have to cover um, the scenario where it's up to 12 weeks with an additional 10. If you have less than 50 employees um, and paying that out will risk you going out of business, there is a waiver program available. Um, so if you're in that boat, if you have less than 50 employees, um, the two weeks, you can't get out of that. Um, but if 
if it looks like the 10 weeks might be a possibility, you are eligible for a waiver if, if it's going to put you in a very tough spot um, business-wise. So, Derek, the bottom line here is that every contractor is different as far as their size, um, and they should really just call you if they have specific questions on that, right? Exactly. There's a lot of different moving pieces as far as whether someone is um, at full pay or two-thirds. Um, the reason that they're out because of the virus can be different. There's different pay scales based on if the person themselves has it um, or if they just need to take care of their kids because the schools are closed. Um, so they should definitely contact me or, or other legal counsel um, with any specifics. Um, one thing I will note is that the government has decided that they're not going to enforce this um, dotting every I, crossing every T immediately. So if an employer is trying to comply with this in good faith um, and they make an error, the government has already said they're not going to come after people as long as you're trying in good faith to follow this. So you get a little bit of a break there, um, but certainly I would check with, with counsel before, um, with legal counsel before, uh, if you have specific employees that are going to be involved in this. Okay. Anything else? Um, a couple related issues we've got are unemployment and workers' comp, which play into this as well. Uh, I'll cover workers' comp quickly. Uh, generally speaking, that's not going to be available in these circumstances unless someone can show that they picked up coronavirus on the work site. Um, so unless that's the case, it's most likely that uh, workers will not fall under the workers' comp system for this. Um, the other piece of it is unemployment. Um, because I think with the, with the two-week cap and with the, the length of quarantines we're looking at, a lot of people are going to get through the paid sick leave, the two weeks. Um, I think a, a big chunk of people are going to get through that. And then you're potentially looking at uh, unemployment. And the important thing there is if, if a worker chooses not to go to work, they're probably not available um, for unemployment because you need to be ready and willing to work. Um, so if you've decided that you don't want to go, which for other reasons might be a very good decision, um, but you don't have a medical doctor saying that, um, then you're probably not available for unemployment. If, on the other hand, your employer, um, you're available to work, but um, they don't have work for you to do, um, you get laid off, something like that, then you probably um, are eligible for unemployment benefits. But workers' comp is probably out. Unemployment, just depending on the circumstances, uh, might apply to, to a good chunk of the workers. Okay. You want to cover the executive order now? Sure. Um, as most of the listeners will know, uh, Governor Evers' executive order came out yesterday. It tracks pretty closely what most states have done, uh, specifically to our members. What's important is that construction is generally exempt um, from, the, from the shutdown orders. So construction is open. It doesn't matter what type of project it is. As of now, um, as far as everyone knows, and, and this is the way other states have applied it, all construction is open. Um, something to be aware of is localities, municipalities can have tighter rules than that. So you might run into a situation where your specific site is um, shut down by local authorities. If that's the case, um, they, they largely can do that, and you should comply uh, with whatever, whatever their rules are. So, so, Derek, that's just not available to, to um, like, first-class cities? It's a, Any political subdivision can, can come up with their own yeah, rule? Pretty much. Pretty much. The, for the most part, uh, state regulations are a floor, not a ceiling. So if a, if a particular municipality, which you might see if we start to see um, outbreaks, like in other states, you might find uh, municipalities, probably bigger ones, um, more urban ones, you might see 
um, job shuts, shutdowns, even if the state uh, hasn't went that far. Yeah, I know in Missouri, uh, my counterpart down there has indicated that there's certain political subdivisions that have come up with their own guidelines or own uh, um, shelter in place or whatever type of orders. So it's a little confusing for the contractors. It'd be nice to just have one order that covers everybody and that's what everybody follows, but that's not how we're working here, I guess. So. Yeah. Um, and another thing I will mention, even though construction is an essential industry, um, any work that can be done remotely, um, whether it's an essential business or non-essential, the order says that you should probably try and do that. So it's probably the best idea anyway. Um, but just because you're in construction um, or another essential service, that doesn't necessarily mean everything um, can still be in person. If something can be done remotely, the order says that you should be doing that. All right. So is there, um, <clears throat> we've been getting a lot of calls about this um, letter that um, um, some, someone had put out, I guess, I, I don't know, in a newsletter or whatever, but we got a ton of calls asking about their employees needing this letter that suggests they work for an essential business. So they're allowed to travel to and from work and all that stuff. It, can you shed any light on that? Sure. There is no requirement in the executive order or really any state's executive order that requires a letter like that. Now, if, if someone wants one, uh, we have one available on the AGC website, uh, but it's not required. It's not something employees need. Uh, it's, it's one of those things that a friend of a friend of a friend of my aunt said I need one, um, but there is nothing in the executive order that says you need one. That being said, if, if you want to do it, uh, we have a template available on your website, but it, at this point, it is not required. Okay. Um, related to job site safety and some of the um, issues connected to that, um, is there anything that our members need to know from a legal standpoint? We put out the recommendations, best practices yesterday. Um, is there anything in there that the members should really be focused on? Uh, I'll tell you a couple things. Number one is do check that website. Um, that checklist is a good good resource. Um, two things that are somewhat new with, with COVID-19. Uh, previous to last week, it was generally thought that you could not check an employee's temperature, whether that's using a traditional thermometer or thermal imaging things. Um, the government has come out and said you can do that as part of this. So you don't have to, um, but if employers do want to check um, employees' temperatures, they do have that right as long as it's connected to COVID-19. Um, Another aspect of this is even if someone divulges that they have it, that they think they might have it, um, as an employer, you you can let everybody know that someone at work, someone at the job site has tested positive or has suspicion to think that they were exposed to it, but you want to be very careful about stating that person's identity. Um, there's all sorts of confidentiality concerns, um, and those do not go away because it's because of COVID-19. So it's okay to say someone here has it, send that person home for the, the minimum 14 days, send anyone um, that they've been in contact with for the last 14 days, but be very careful about stating that person's identity um, to, to the workplace at large. Yeah, the other um, questions we've been getting is on this, you know, the, the survey of the employees and vendors coming on the job sites. Um, you know, from what I understand, and you can confirm or not confirm this, but those surveys need to be conducted confidentially, and the results of those need to be kept confidential and private, right? 
Absolutely, especially, especially as it concerns a specific individual. Um, like I said, you can let everybody know, hey, we have this concern, someone here tested positive, um, or you know, has been traveling, or one of the other things in that checklist. Um, so we're going to do X, Y, Z about that, um, but do not disclose individual um, specific information. But what I'm talking about is just the the uh, the process and the physical uh, process of taking the survey. And, um, we had a member call yesterday. Said they were going to hand it out to their employees, have them fill it out, and turn it in on the job site. As I understand, that survey should actually be in person and kept confidential in a confidential manner, whether it's like in a job trailer or in a private spot on the job. Is that right or or what? That's correct. What I would recommend is have a point, one point person that's handling all those things. If you have an HR person, that makes sense, um, a superintendent, but one person um, that is in charge of those. And another thing I'll mention on that is if somebody's actually administering um, getting in close contact because someone's filling out the survey or checking someone's temperature, make sure those people are taking extra precautions um, from a potential positive case because the last thing you want is make someone fill out a survey three feet from somebody or uh, make somebody take someone's temperature and, and they're not taking the pro- proper precautions and, and you're spreading it that way. Um, right. But like I said, what I would recommend is have one point person um, who's going to be in charge of all of this, who's going to be the only one that, that has the, the specific information related to specific employees. Right. So if you have someone that says, yes, we, um, we have a fever or you otherwise do a test, they have a fever, um, what do you do from there? And then if someone tests positive, I know we put out some guidelines, but um, can you just kind of cover those instances a little bit for me? Sure. And I, I think the best practice at this point is treat someone who has tested positive and treat someone who suspects they may have it, um, whether it's because they have symptoms or because they've been exposed. Treat all those people the same. Um, and what you should do is those people should be sent home immediately, told to go um, contact their medical provider, um, and they should be quarantined for 14 days. Um, before they leave, you should also ask them for a specific lift of other people that they have been exposed to in the last few days. Um, and then best practice, again, it's, it's a hassle, but best practice is to talk to those people. Um, don't say who said they might have been exposed to them, but let them know that they potentially have been exposed uh, and they should be going on that 14-day quarantine as well. Okay. So um, a lot of this is very fluid. Um, I, you know, I've heard today um, uh, com- that some of the um, – uh, employers and, and unions are getting uh, messages from their employees that they're concerned about working on the job sites, um, that um, some of the superintendents of the contractors are not taking the, uh, the, the risks very serious here. And um, I just want to encourage all members to speak with their superintendents, their job site leaders, and emphasize how important it is to follow the CDC and the DHS guidelines and the recommendations that we put out. They're available on our website. And um, take this serious so we can get past this and and keep moving uh, Wisconsin's construction industry forward. So, Derek, uh, I want to thank you for joining us and remind all of our members, give Derek a call at 1-800-362-5050. 
800-800-8022. Email him at Derek, D-E-R-E-K dot Allen, A-L-L-E-N, A-G-C-W-I dot org if you have any questions. Thanks for listening and have a safe day. Thanks for listening to the Forward Construction Podcast. To access this and other AGC podcasts, go to the AGC website at www.agcwi.org or download directly at Google Play or Apple Podcasts. For more information on this podcast or to get involved, please contact Bob Barker at the AGC office. Have a great day.